I'm Alice Arnold. Welcome to the Magic Musicals and Theatre Podcast. We have an absolute legend as our guest this week. I've been wanting to meet him for so long, I can't believe that I actually got the chance. Our guest this week is the lyricist and composer Stephen Schwartz. Hello, I'm Alice Arnold and welcome to a very special programme. This is a Stephen Schwartz retrospective. I have been looking forward to doing this for weeks, actually, Stephen. I've been overexcited. Because you're a legendary composer, lyricist, man of musical theatre. You're in England because of the opening of Prince of Egypt. I am. So we couldn't take down this opportunity to... Now, you were born in New York. I was, yeah, yeah a long, long time ago. <laughs> but you were obviously a very talented musician because you studied piano at Juilliard while you were still at school. That's correct, yeah. yeah. Um, Juilliard has uh, had, and I assume still has, a preparatory division for high school students, um, and I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship there when I was in high school. So, yeah, um, I got to go there, and, the, of course, the training is fantastic. Um, and then thereafter for university, I went to drama school because I knew I wanted to write for musical theater. So again, I was lucky to get into um, Carnegie Mellon, which is one of the top drama schools in uh, back in America. And was it always piano? Was that your instrument? That yeah, you... yeah. Um, my parents, when I was a, a little boy, about six or seven years old, happened to live next door to a composer um, whose name was George Kleinsinger. And um, he was pretty successful, and he had done a lot of what we would now call concept albums. And one of those concept albums was being turned into a Broadway show. Um, the show was eventually called Shinbone Alley, and um, it was ultimately not a successful show. But in any event, um, my parents would go over to George's house because they were we were all friends, and he would play a new song that he might have been working on for the show. And I'm told, though I don't, of course, remember this, that then I would go over to his piano and pick out the tune. And so a couple of times after doing this, George said to my parents, um, I think Stephen has an ear and he seems very interested in music. Maybe you might consider getting a piano and getting him piano lessons. So that's actually how I got started. And yeah, consequently, piano was my instrument. And I play guitar as well. And your parents didn't play, so it didn't Not at come all. My parents them. are not at all musical. Yeah. Well, my mom sings a little bit, but they're not really musical people. And you talked about going to drama school. And that's where you wrote your first show. Well, it was a, an early version of Pippin, is exactly that right? Yeah. right. Yeah, there was a club um, at Carnegie Mellon that, um, you know, sort of a student organization, and every year they did an original musical. And my first year at university, I, um, you know, signed up for it, and then I got tapped to help write the songs for it. Um, and then the four years that I was there at school, I did, um, I co-wrote a musical every year. And the third year, a friend of mine had an idea to do a kind of musical medieval melodrama um, based on a paragraph in a history textbook that he had found about the son of Charlemagne and a plot against um, his, to overthrow his father. Um, and so we did that. And it was called at that time Pippin Pippin. And so that was the genesis of what ultimately became Pippin, 
with a totally different story, mostly different story, completely different songs, etc. But yes, it began at university. The next musical you wrote, um, you also started this when I think you were at university. Well, actually, this show did start at university and it did start at Carnegie Mellon, but it started after I had graduated already. It was the brainchild of its... Um, uh, eventual director, John Michael Teblak, who was a directing uh, student at Carnegie Mellon. And he started this show, um, Godspell, at school. And then it was um, very well received there. And he got an offer to do it at what you would call here a fringe theater in New York, the Cafe La Mama. And that's where its eventual commercial producers saw it. And those producers, Edgar Lansbury and Joseph Baru, had heard me audition a few months before uh, the score for Pippin, and they weren't interested in Pippin at all. But um, then these months later, when they saw what was then Godspell and felt it needed a score, um, I was very lucky that they thought of me and called me. Yeah, because I wanted to know what it was that inspired a, a young Jewish boy from New York to be writing about the gods, the Gospels, basically. Well, it which wasn't Godspell me. Is, but <laughs> Godspell was not my inspiration, but um, I, I went to see it at the Cafe La Mama when I, I was asked to by the producers, and I just thought it was so brilliant, you know, that 2,000 years had gone by and no one had realized how funny... The uh, without making fun of them, the Gospels could be because they're about human beings and human foibles, and human beings are funny. Um, and, and the other thing, you know, I think whatever your religion or, in fact, lack thereof, the central tenet, if you will, the central philosophy of Godspell, which is simply always treat others as you would have them treat you, is pretty universal, and actually, if, if only we all just lived that way, we'd live in a much better world. And then you went on, Stephen Schwartz, to write another bu- musical based on the book of Genesis, which was Children of Eden. So there's a there's a theme here, a biblical theme, I suppose. Well, and I here mean, we are with Prince of Egypt. Yeah, so is, exactly. So is faith, is, is that an important part of your life? Does that inspire your music? Well, or? I think it's more that... These are big stories with big themes, and the characters are dealing with major events, both personal and in their world, and so there's a lot to sing about. And And they all tend to have a, a philosophical, if you will, and a social component to them, um, which interests me. So I think that's why I'm I'm drawn to these stories um, that are sometimes found in the Bible. Well, they're, yeah, they're epic, aren't they, I suppose? They are epic, um, yes, this, definitely. The original production of Children of Eden was done by the um, Royal Shakespeare Company. That is correct. Yeah. So your productions obviously have been done all over the world, but you do seem to have quite a special relationship with London. We'd like to think. Well, I like I to think. think that. I'd like to hope that. And, and of course, given that Prince of Egypt is coming up and starting performances, on, you know, in a few weeks on February 5th, um, I like to hope that that will continue. Well, that's not the only one of your shows on in London at the moment. No, because this is very exciting. <laughs> because right. your show called Rags is on at the Park Theatre exactly. at the moment. And we were chatting before we started this, and you said it's a, it's a completely new production of it 
Well, it's not just, yes, it's it's a completely new version. Rags was originally done um, very, very briefly on Broadway. It only ran four performances back in the, in the 80s, in the mid-80s, and it was not successful, um, though I think it has wonderful music by Charles Strauss. I wrote the lyrics for the show. Um, but recently, because of all the controversy, or as you would say over here, controversy about immigration, um, and that's what Rags is about. It's about it's sort of a follow up to Fiddler on the Roof, mm. and it's about those Jewish immigrants who um, left Anatevka, um, not specifically that family, but that kind of group of people coming to America, and what happens to them there. And with the renewed focus on immigration, there's been renewed focus on the show. So I and my co-authors were approached about um, doing a new production, but we felt the show itself didn't work. So um, consequently, um, we brought in a new book writer, David Thompson, who's um, the writer of The Scottsboro Boys, which is a show I admire greatly. And a completely revised version was done. And we've been developing it a bit. And now in its sort of finished state, it's at the Park Theatre um, here in North London, up by Finsbury Park, in just a wonderful production, really brilliantly directed by a young director named Brona Lagen. Uh, and it's been going very well. And in fact, I'm happy to be able to say, maybe here publicly for the first time, that I've just learned that um, because the show has been going so well there, it's going to be recorded. Which is fantastic news. We are now coming on to, I suppose, your biggest hit Pro- show. Yes, I suppose. <laughs> um, I suppose. Uh Lots of us had known you before this, but for people who weren't familiar with Godspell and Pippin, I guess this was the one where everybody knows this, and the show is called Wicked. Um, Along with Phantom and the the Lion King, it's one of the few shows to break the billion dollars mark on Broadway. Is that true? Yeah, apparently. So you know this, and I don't know. I don't know you. That's lovely news. I don't know if you got all the billion. No, it certainly didn't come to me, I can can assure you of that. But I expect it's on all over the world. It's not done you any harm. Um, Did you always know, when you were writing it, did you think, I know I've got a massive hit here? I knew that people were responding very strongly early on when we would do readings of the show and going through our developmental process, uh, there was always a lot of excitement surrounding it. And uh, we did an out-of-town tryout in San Francisco and the show was kind of a mess, to be honest, at the beginning of that stage, as is not unusual when you're doing a tryout. But we began to sell out after like three performances way before it had been reviewed. So I, I, you could feel that the word was getting out and we, we all got quite excited about it. Well, you insisted on rewriting, didn't you, for, th- for three months or something before it opened on Absolutely. Broadway after that. Yeah. So, and it sounds to me in the way you were talking about rags and saying it didn't work and you wanted to rewrite that you're a pretty strong critic of yourself, would you say? Well, I think one has to be. Um, you know, someone famously said that musicals are not so much written as rewritten, and that's very true. And and at least for, for me, and I think for many creators of musical theater, you have to see it in front of an audience and feel out 
what's working, what's not, where the audience is getting what you've intended them to, where you haven't communicated successfully. Sometimes songs don't work. Sometimes, you know, scenes or something about the structure doesn't work. And so um, that's actually one of the exciting parts to me about live theater is that you can continue to work on it and and get live feedback from the audience until you get it to a point where you feel all right th- this is they're getting what i meant here i mean have you ever written a song that you've just thought this is a fantastic song but it doesn't work and i'm going to ditch it i mean that would be a massive decision to make it's or- actually it's actually not a massive <laughs> decision it? no because the the whole point is to get the show to work And um, Tom Jones, who wrote The Fantastics, sort of famously said that in musical theaters, everything is more important than anything. So the point being the whole thing is what's important. And if a piece of it doesn't work, then you have to fix it. I mean, there there are lots of examples, not just in my own work, but in other people's work of wonderful songs that have been cut from shows because they just didn't work within the context of the show. Um, the song in Wicked that um, became the, quote, I want song for Elphaba, um, which is called The Wizard and I, is really my third try at that spot. And um, there was a song that preceded it called Making Good, which I and our whole team felt was a really good song. And then we could just tell in the development process that that it wasn't functioning for us as well as we needed her first song to work. And yeah, out it went. And eventually The Wizard and I came along, which uh, works quite well and is actually a better song. It it works more than quite well. I remember that when I first saw Wicked and every hair on the back of my neck stood up when that song happened. Thank you. And I just went, that epitomizes... Yeah. Anyway, um, you wrote the part of Glinda with Kristen Chenoweth. Is that how you say her name? Kristen Chenoweth, Chenoweth yeah. In mind. Um, and, of course, Adina Menzel was also there from, right. from the beginning. Um, well, Kristen was there longer, actually, to take nothing away from Adina. Kristen did our first full reading of the show, the first time we were going through the entire show. Um, it was in Los Angeles, and I knew that Kristen happened to be there because she was doing a television spot, and I asked her to come and read the part of Glinda, and then, of course, once we heard her do it, then we knew, well, she was it. We had to um, have her do it if she would agree to. And, yeah, and thereafter, because it was about, we were about three years out from the premiere at that point, um, a lot of the role got shaped around Kristen, mm. so, including and, the song. Yeah. And have you written for other people? Do you do you often write with people in mind, as it were? Not, I don't write um, until not until the show is cast. But once the show has been cast, then of course the material gets tailored to that performer. You played Defying Gravity, and the last verse of Defying Gravity, where um, Adina or whomever is singing it stays way, way up on top on the, so if you care to find me, that was for Adina. I had actually written a tune that didn't keep her up that high, and she said, well, at this point I'm going to be flying. I think I should sing up there the whole time. And I just said, but can you do that eight times a week? And she said, well, I think I can. 
so okay. And that's th- the point being that the song existed, but then it was molded based on who was going to sing it. And she made a rod for the back of everybody that followed. She then, certainly so. did. <laughs> um, I hadn't re- recognized, but unlim- Unlimited... Is the first seven notes of Over the Rainbow? Yes, there are some there are some little musical tricks mm. in, in Wicked, and and when I first uh, started out to write it, um, I think the the Wizard of Oz movie is well known here, right? Oh yeah, it's extremely famous in America. Everybody pretty much knows it by heart. Oh no, it is here too. Yeah, and so it just seemed as if there had to be a, a couple of little tips of the hat, if you will, to that amazing um, Harold Arlen and Yip Harburg score. And of course, you have to do a little um, uh, acknowledgement of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So yes, I used the first seven notes, the da-da, dee-dee-dee-dee, and then I re-harmonized um, them and changed the rhythm, and that became the, the unlimited motif. It's subtle. It's very subtle. Well, it was fun to it do, was, though. Yeah. And now, is it true that there is a film version of Wicked on the way. Absolutely, yeah. Your own wonderful director, British director Stephen Daltrey, will be directing it. We are still in the process of um, working on the screenplay, and I know Stephen has been working with designers, etc., to start to figure out how to take that story and reimagine it for film. Um, but yes, it's it's it is definitely underway, and we hope to actually be able to be shooting it before too long. Though it's not going to be tomorrow, but um, we're in process. Okay. Now there were quite there was quite a gap between Children of Eden and Wicked. Yeah. In terms of yeah, yeah long what time was, in terms of shows. What yeah. was going on during that time? Well, first of all, um, I was quite burned out on theater, to be perfectly honest. And I thought, well, maybe it's time for me to do something else. And I actually went back to school um, because I'd also always um, been interested in psychology. And um, my alternative career was to be um, a therapist. And I thought, oh, well, maybe it's time to do that. <laughs> um, so I was literally back I- I- at university. And then I got um, a call from Disney um, because... Uh, they were having their um, resurgence of animated musicals. And the gentleman who had really been greatly responsible for that resurgence, Howard Ashman, unfortunately had passed away. And um, he was the collaborator of Alan Menken, the composer. And so Disney um, was looking for a new collaborator for Alan and asked me if I would be interested um, and and Alan and I were actually already friends, so that was very convenient. And yeah, so suddenly I had a movie career, which was not anything I had anticipated, but something that I came to enjoy a great deal. So they plucked you out of your psychiatric course. They did. I, I, said, I left Come and write Pocahontas. <laughs> I became a dropout, and then I went to write Pocahontas. And when you work with Disney, because it's such a massive organization, um, is uh, is it restrictive in any way, or do they give you a pretty free hand of what you can do? Or they were actually not not restrictive. I mean, obviously, one knows what the audience is, um, but they gave us a lot of leeway. And actually, I, I remember Alan and I writing a couple of songs. 
um, for Pocahontas and subsequently for Hunchback of Notre Dame and thinking, oh, we're never going to get away with this. And then um, having Disney, you know, really be supportive. Now, you've got two children. Have they followed you into the world of musical theatre? Well, one of them is directing me, is in fact currently in tech at the Dominion Theatre directing Prince of Egypt. Ah, this is my well, son, is, Scott. Okay, yeah, so the answer is yes. Yes, <laughs> I mean, Scott has uh, always wanted to um, be a director, uh, despite my and his mother's trying to point out to him what a, a tough row that was. But, of course, he grew up... Um, seeing all that, so he there was there was no stopping him, and he's he's become quite a successful director on his own. Um, before doing this, he's just come back from South Korea, where he's done a new revised production of the musical Big Fish, which is now a big hit in Seoul, uh, and now he's here doing Prince of Egypt, and yeah, I, I enjoy working with him very much. And then I have a daughter who's a little bit younger than Scott, who um, is an art teacher in New York. So it's, well, look, quite a family affair with you and your boy directing. So Absolutely. So will everybody be over for the first night, Princess, Prince Beach? Uh Probably, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, hard to stop us. That, that's, that's, that's a lovely thing. When you Another Disney adaptation you did was Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now, is it different when you're writing for an animated character in a film rather than a, a person on the stage? Not really. I mean, there's still the um, the basic goal of a song to advance the story, to help define the character. Um, Hunchback of Notre Dame, in fact, has been adapted for the stage and the, the songs from the movie have worked very well on stage. Um, I think one does need to be aware if it's a movie, whether it's animated or live action, that there's a reason they call it motion picture, that you have to think of it in terms of, well, what's the camera going to be doing? You know, how is how is the character in motion here? What's this going to look like? Um, they're not just going to be standing on a stage, mm-hmm. you know, with spotlights hitting them singing. Um, but other than that, uh, it's pretty much the same task. It's Alice Arnold here talking to Stephen Schwartz about his life and work. And I said at the top of the show that you're over here for the opening of Prince of Egypt. I am. I'm going to see it next week. I'm very excited about it. Um, was hoping to take my young nephew, but it's not half term. So we're going to have to take him another yeah, time. I think he um, would like it. I, so he I know he would later. love it. Um, it. It contains probably your most famous song, which won an Academy Award. Um, are you going to the Academy Awards this year? No, I'm here working. Oh, we're do in you previews. Get, I want to know: Do you get invited if you've won one um, automatically? I do, but but actually, I'm I'm not so big on awards and award ceremonies, so so I usually don't go. Though I have to say that of the awards ceremonies to attend, the Academy Awards are really fun. This production has lots of new songs in it. A which lot of new and not in the film. So tell us about some of those. Um, well, there are 10 new songs, plus reprises and mashups and finales of both acts, um, because as, when and animated features don't really have that many songs in them. They feel very musical because there's all that underscoring. But Prince of Egypt only has six songs in it, the, the animated feature. Um, 
but and five of those in slightly modified form are in the show. Um, but of course, the rest of the story had to be told musically. And so, as I say, yeah, there are there are ten new songs, and we have amazing singers. So there's a lot of music in the show that is not in the movie. And where do you get your inspiration for new stuff? Because if you listen back, you listen back to Godspell or Pippin or whatever. I mean, it still sounds current, but there's definitely a development in your music as it changes and you grow up, I suppose. And I think music that's definitely true. Yeah, definitely. And where Do you listen to very current stuff to get inspired or... Yeah, I mean, you? yeah, both. Uh, of course, I'm I'm very up on um, current musical theater, and and I I enjoy it and go to see a lot of it. Um, but in addition, you know, I'm always interested in what else is happening in music, um, both in terms of classical music or what what you would call um, classical music, though of course, if it's happening right now, it's not classical, and um, as well as pop and, you know, what's going on there and folk music and world music. You know, I like music and, you know, I hear new things and that's influential. Um, we're going to play one more song from the show before we say goodbye, but out of, you may not be able to answer this, out of all the songs you've written, what would you say was your favourite? You know, I won't answer questions about my favorites, and I will tell you why. Um, a long time ago, I read an interview with Stephen Sondheim, obviously a composer and lyricist whom I greatly admire, and someone asked him that in the interview, what is your favorite song? And he cited one. He said, Someone in a Tree from Pacific Overtures. And I found that from that point on, I couldn't really listen to the song without thinking about that and it put a distance between me as a listener slash audience and the song and I thought oh I really don't want to do that I just want people to come to my work based on what they think and not through the prism of knowing oh he he really likes mm -hmm. this particular song so I don't answer right that's fine don't have to we've talked about the film of Wicked which coming up the film to barely, be the film to be um <laughs> Other projects in the pipeline? Yes. Um, there's another film that I am working on uh, that I'm very excited about and that, in fact, we're going to be filming over here um, perhaps as soon as this summer. It's um, in the way that Wicked is a spin on The Wizard of Oz. This is um, a live-action movie musical that is not animated, um, which is written and directed by Bill Condon, who wrote the um, the screenplay for Chicago and directed the uh, live-action Beauty and the Beast. So he's fantastic, and it's a spin on A Christmas Carol. And it takes another side character, which is Jacob Marley, and tells his story. So it's called Marley, Another Christmas Carol. And um, Bill and I have, have written it, and it will be for Disney, and we, as I say, are in the process right now of casting it and it's being designed. And with any luck, we'll be filming this year and you'll see it, uh, I think, next year. I think we're, the intention is for it to be out at Christmas time, um, not 2020, but 2021. 2021. Yeah. 
Right, so that's really imminent if they're filming this summer. So more time for you in London. Exactly. Which, they're filming. You must have a second home here. I mean, this I is, should. Yeah. I should. It feels like a second home to be here. Steve Schwartz, it has been an absolute privilege to have you in my studio. I, As you know, I've been a fan for many years. Uh, I just hope you keep writing and entertaining us for Thank many you very more much. years to come. That's, this was really fun to be here. Thank you. Thank you. That was the Magic Musicals and Theatre Podcast with me, Alice Arnold, talking to Stephen Schwartz. And if you enjoyed it, well, you might want to hear others in the series. You can download them all. Put them all on your telephone or however it is you listen to your podcast and rate them. Give them a mark out of five, like 652. 